everyone you're listening to the fifth episode of next in queue i'm your host rob dwyer and today i'm excited to be joined by uh, someone a little more local to me here in the st louis community uh shanti smith daniels is joining me welcome how are you i'm great thanks for having me well it is absolutely my pleasure so uh you are the global sales operations manager, and I think you got some other words in this um, title for the Economist newspaper, although most Americans think of it as a magazine. Is that right? That is right. Most Americans, including myself, would call it a magazine, <laughs> but it is indeed a newspaper because it's a weekly um, print. So it's a newspaper. Yeah. All right. Well, um, so let's start off. I mean, obviously you're at The Economist now, but you've only been there for, I don't know, what, three-ish years, something like that. Uh, but you've been in the customer service industry for uh, something like 15-ish years, right? Right, yeah. A lot of time um, previously in the insurance sector. So tell me about that. How did you, how did you get started in that? Um, I actually got started in insurance and as a 16-year-old. Um, I wanted a part-time job, and I applied at my local McDonald's, and I was one of the people they didn't hire, so no, everyone does not get into McDonald's. <laughs> um, but in the strip mall, there was an insurance agency there, um, and I'm about to date myself. Um, so I was a telemarketer, and I had to use the white pages. Um, okay. And so I had the privilege, the privilege of calling people uh, during their dinner time, um, which they would remind me. And also it was like blues hockey season, which they would remind me of that as well. And so that's how I kind of got started in insurance. Um, and then I got in customer service insurance um, with Liberty Mutual in North Carolina, which was lovely. Um, I got licensed and kind of moved my way to sales assistant back to customer service insurance. I actually love insurance. My family still comes to me for insurance questions. I remember all of those uh, endorsements, check your endorsements, make sure you have water sewer back up on your house if you have a basement. I remember all that stuff. So um, that experience actually provided me with a lot of my um, customer service, like operations experience that I have now. Yeah, I imagine, you know, I, my first contact center gig was also outbound. It wasn't insurance. It was credit cards, mm -hmm. which is even worse. And, uh, um, it, I didn't last long in that business, but I understand exactly the responses that you were getting. Cause I too was working evenings and people would be like, I'm in the middle of dinner. Why are you calling me? Right. <laughs> um, so, so you are in 
insurance for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then you transitioned to The Economist. And, and obviously, not only is that a different industry, because it's a publication, it doesn't, it's not insurance at all, um, but it's also a global company. And it's not just a global company, it's a global company that focuses on global economic issues. I wonder, has that changed for you how you um, look at things or like the news that you consume or has that changed anything for you, the, the business that you're in? Um, I would say it's helped me to see the in, inside of the business. Um, I didn't realize um, all that goes into keeping a publication in print. Um, yes. So that's a lot. Um, regarding customer service, it's, you know, the agents have to realize there's a print, there's a digital. Um, so it's just given me insight and in like a whole world view. I actually, if you read The Economist or anyone wants to read it, my favorite section is the obituary section. And <laughs> I think that, but I mean, they will write the most beautiful piece about someone. I mean, and it just makes you feel like you knew that person. Um, so that's actually the favorite, my favorite part of the Economist newspaper. That's that's really interesting and not what I was anticipating you to say no. was your favorite part. Uh, so there are a couple of things that I'm curious about, um, kind of sort of related. So um, first of all, I think we should let everyone know that you're also a personal trainer. Yes. Yeah. So when I think about that and I think about being in the contact center business, one of the things that I have always uh, observed is it's a it's a very sedentary um, job. And I think over the last couple of years, a lot of people have moved from jobs that maybe weren't as sedentary and now they're working at home and maybe they're having some of those experiences. Um, so I wonder from your perspective, number one, if you're hearing from people that maybe um, weren't working from home, if, mm -hmm. if they're talking about challenges that they're having maintaining a healthy lifestyle mm -hmm. and two, like, what's your advice to someone that that may be struggling? Like, just a quick, like, first easiest thing that someone could do to to be healthier. Um, the easiest thing would be to move more. Um, so I think people underestimate movement, um, and they think they have to like sign up for CrossFit or do like ten hundred burpees in a day. Um, but really, just walking—that's probably the easiest thing. Um, when I was in a contact center. I was always, when it was my employee's break time, I would say, you need to go on break. You need to get up, get up from your desk, go to the break room. If it's nice out, let's go for a walk. So a couple of times I will walk with them during break, um, but it's really just moving more. That's the way to get started. And I just know um, from my experience being in a contact center, you know, it's back-to-back -back calls. You really don't want to get up because you have to come sit right back down. But during that break lunchtime, that's the time for you to get up, practice a little self-care by either taking a walk, eating a lunch, um, whatever you're doing there. So I was a really big um, advocate of 
leaving your desk during break and lunches. Like, get up. Like, is everything okay? I'll make sure you're okay. And they say, yeah, everything's good. Okay, let's get up, get up away from your desk. Would you like go for a walk? And then we would go for a walk. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. I know that I'm, I, you know, so I just not just started, right? It's been a year and a half working from home, but I have found that I have to make myself mm-hmm. consciously, um, typically I'll do it after work, just kind of in the afternoon, like go go for a stroll, right? I need to get out and go for a walk, or sometimes I just need to get up from the desk and like walk around even indoors because I feel like I'm not doing that as much as I did in the office. And so, and that was, and I didn't have to think about it in the office. Now I have to think about it a little bit more. Um, so I imagine there are other people that are struggling with that as well. Yeah, and I struggle with that. Um, so The Economist is my first uh, work from home remote job. Um, so I struggled with that same thing. And you know, when you're working from home, you don't receive a notification at your break time, right? <laughs> um, right. But now my lovely watch will tell me it's time for me to stand up. So I do. I do. <laughs> sometimes I ignore it, but sometimes I do stand up and walk around. Yeah. Um, so one of the other things that struck me is that you've got a BA in psychology. And I'm wondering how that has informed both your uh, fitness coaching and how you operate and motivate people in the contact center world. Yeah, so not only my um, bachelor's in psychology, but I think like real life experience, right? So I understand people are coming from different places, right? Um, So some of, I I was a single mom for a very long time. Um, during my contact center career. And um, especially in the contact center, I can remember, you know, I had to come to work, right? I had to make it work, even though, you know, my childcare may not have been in the best situation, um, but I had to come to work. You know, I had to pass quality. You know, I had to get through the calls. I had to do yeah. all this, you know. Um, and so that's just helped me realize like people are coming to work with different experiences Um, and especially in like sales. So um, when I, when I was motivating my team, I used to have a team of 23 direct reports, right? It's a big team. It was a big team. Um, But what I did was I talked to each one of them to see what their motivation was, right? So some people in sales, their motivation is like money. Right. I got that. Let me show you how much money you can earn. Da, 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 da. Some people in sales aren't money driven, they're more customer focused. So then I would have to pitch, okay, this is how we're gonna help our customer. We have to provide these products. So I think the background in psychology and just like real life experiences is what I use to kind of drive my team, their their performance. Um, Even when I'm doing training sessions, sometimes I used to facilitate training um, sessions, which I love, love training, love it, love, love it. But even then, it's making sure I engage everyone where they're at and not assume that I know where they're at. Yeah, I think that is often missed among, particularly among people that are first time managers or um, just kind of get 
new into a role where they're leading people and that they assume that people have the same motivations that they have, right? This this is what motivates me, so I think this is what's going to motivate you, and that is definitely not always the case. In fact, it's rarely the case. And so I love that you would take that approach of trying to trying to understand directly from them what it is that motivates you so that now when when I work with you, right, I've always got that in the back of my head and how I approach coaching and and um, how you approach those one on one sessions. So that's awesome. So uh, does that hold true then for the fitness as well? Do you? Yeah. yeah, where you're coming from. I mean, once you, I mean, someone may come to me and say, I want a flat stomach. And so what I'll say is, why do you want a flat stomach? <laughs> and they may say, so I can fit my clothes better. I said, okay, that's fair. I said, but we can't um, spot, this isn't plastic surgery, so I can't aim on your flat stomach. But what we can do is we can have a calorie deficit, right? And there's some exercises we can do to help your overall figure. Now, wouldn't it be nice if you fit better in your jeans, just, you know, smaller thighs, whatever, you know? um, So it's just reframing like their goals. And honestly, like social media, like the fitness industry as a whole, I think is kind of um, predatory sometimes with the things we say. Um, and it gives people like expectations of what they should look like. But, and I try to get them to a point to understand, like, how do you feel? Like we may, yeah. you may have not have lost the 20 pounds you wanted to lose in this time frame, but how do you feel, right? Do you feel stronger? You're able to walk faster. Your clothes are fitting better. Um, and so, yeah, it's get into, um, figure out like, what's their why? Like, what's the real reason we're doing this? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. You know, I, I mean, I have to admit right now I'm not in the best shape of my life. Mm-hmm. Thanks, COVID. Um, but I can't blame it all on that, right? The choices that I, I make on a daily basis obviously impact that as well. But I think back at a time when, when I was in, in really good shape and uh, sure, I, I loved being able to, to wear clothes that were smaller than I was used to or tighter than I was used to. But I think more than anything, I also really liked the energy that I had throughout the day. You know, I was getting up earlier. I was getting up actually really early every day to go running. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was going all day long. I wasn't tired and, you know, until it was bedtime and, and then I would sleep really well. Mm -hmm. And, when you're not in very good shape, right? The exact opposite happens. Right. <laughs> you don't have energy, you don't sleep well. Um, and so the some of those ancillary benefits of, hey, I feel like I look better. Well, those are, you know, the, uh, they can be important to people mm-hmm. and shouldn't necessarily be overlooked. But I think there's some other things going on that people may not consider as really great benefits of of being in shape yeah i agree i used to uh weigh about 200 pounds and um i lost i don't know if you remember tybo do you remember tybo oh yeah i used to love tybo what's that 
Billy Banks? Is that Billy Blanks? Banks? Yeah, yeah. Banks, Blanks, something like that. Yeah, I used to do Tybo because I thought I was want to be like martial arts uh, person. Um, and so that's how I lost most of my weight. But my goal wasn't really to lose weight. It was really to relieve some stress. So, you know, I was doing the air yeah. punches and the kicks. Um, and then that's how I started losing a lot of weight and just feeling just like you said, it's how it's how you're feeling. It wasn't really about the clothes. I was just feeling so much better. Yeah, I was actually stressed out about the clothes because I'm like, well, I got to buy all these new clothes. Like, it cost cost a lot of money to get into shape just because you get to replace everything. Like, yeah. I can't wear these pants; they just fall down. Like, um, so that was uh, that was actually the stressful part for me for for really getting into shape was having to buy all new clothes. So. Something else that I want to talk about is you are in you are involved in a lot of different community initiatives. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I guess the one that strikes me that seems like it's combining a lot of your passions that we've talked about right now is the fit and food connection. So you're the leader of the development community. And I think that's a relatively new thing, but I don't know for sure. Can you tell us more about that? Kind of what that, what the mission is? Yeah, so um, I became the leader of the development committee like in November of last year. Um, so Fit and Foods mission overall is to provide um, uh, wellness, and healthy food uh, to people in need. Um, so we specifically focus on people in a food desert. Um, so we're located in St. Louis, Missouri. We actually we have an organic garden um, in the city, um, and that we grow that food and we give it to um, our members um, uh, for food. So the reason I'm in that is a I love fitness, right? I just right. I understand how um, people feel better, right? If they're just yeah. doing a little exercise. Um, number two, um, I was that mom that had to go to a food pantry to get food for my children. So I understand like how it feels to have to get out your car, stand in line, get food and get food that wasn't really the best for your family, but yeah. that's all you could get. Um, so like, I understand that. So I love our mission um, because it's so dear to my heart. And I just feel like now I'm at a, a time in life where I can help um, provide some assistance. Um, and so my committee, we're charged with raising funds, um, helping raise funds for that uh, community. So for, for people that maybe don't live in a, a city the size of St. Louis or maybe just aren't familiar with that term. Can you help us understand um, the phrase that you use, a food desert? Because I think there are some people yeah. out there who maybe don't know what that is. Yeah, so I probably don't have the exact definition, um, but basically it's someone that doesn't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables um, in a certain radius. Um, so a lot of times you'll see in the cities, um, especially like um, inner cities, they do not have a grocery store. Right. Um, what they may have is like a bodega that may have some apples, <laughs> right? But they don't have access yeah. to fresh fruit and vegetables. Um, 
And so that's that's pretty much what that means. Yeah, that whole produce section that yeah. some of us kind of take for granted when we go to the grocery store. You know, I, um, I so I, I really love that work that you're doing. Um, you know, I grew up in uh, a single parent household when I was really young. My mom was was a young single mother and you know, she had the same kinds of economic challenges that I think a lot of young single mothers do. And, you know, you do your best to provide for your kids, but there are some days like, you know, it was like grilled cheese and tomato soup. Like that was, that was as good as it was going to get. And as a kid, I don't think you have any idea of, um, what that lack of nutrition might might mean, right? I mean, you just know whether you're hungry or not hungry and whether it tastes good or doesn't taste good. That's all you know. Um, but I think for um, parents who are experiencing that kind of economic hardship, it's hard to know what to do or where to go. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, they there just are not enough resources to provide healthy food options to people in need. Um, so that's one of our goals to spread that. Hopefully we expand outside of St. Louis um, one day, but um, there's definitely a correlation with, with what you eat and how you feel. Um, and so our organization brings those two things together. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And you know what, there's nothing wrong with being local and and helping, you know, the people that are here locally. Certainly, if you can grow the mission, great, grow the mission. Um, but um, starting small sometimes is is the way to go because you're you're helping the people that are in your community. So, um, so uh, something that you recently. Um, were inducted into, and I really just am not familiar with this organization, so I'm hoping that you can enlighten me. Um, and that's the National Coalition of 100 Black Women. So so tell me about that. Tell me, uh, because I really, I just don't know anything about it, and so I, I want to I wanna learn more today. Yeah, so um, the National Coalition of 100 Black Women is actually all over the country. Um, there's uh, chapters all over the place. So I'm in the Metropolitan St. Louis chapter. And so our goal is to um, empower women and girls, women and girls, black women and girls, um, by providing resources regarding um, education, talking about public policy, um, health. Um, so what we do is we set up um, seminars or speaking, um, speaking events with people that are experts in these fields to talk to us. Um, we also have a mentorship program for young ladies in the St. Louis area. Um, so we're just doing a lot on that. And we also talk about gender equity, right? Um, yeah. So um, we had something last year addressing the pay gap, you know, how to ask for mo more money, um, which we know women are paid less than men and then black women are paid less than yeah. other women. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're just trying to make a better a more even playing field for black uh, women and girls. Yeah. So I'm curious um, what what challenges. I mean, I think we know all, so many of these challenges that exist um, from 
from a systemic issue, but I'm, I'm wondering what challenges your organization or that organization comes up against as they try to um, close some of these gaps and address some of these issues. Like, where, what are, what's the hardest part of, of that mission? I think the hardest part is just um, letting everybody know about it, right? And getting involvement from everyone. Um, we're pretty good um, with getting people involved, um, but it could be so much bigger, right? We could spread the word so much more. Um, I would also see like like see more like corporate involvement, um, yeah. you know, sponsorship of things like that. Um, but we do a lot. We we have accomplished a lot and we will continue to accomplish a lot. <laughs> um, but like I say, it'll probably be helpful to have a little more corporate sponsorship with some things, um, with some of our initiatives. Yeah, I mean, certainly money, <laughs> money helps get the word out, right? I mean, that's um, money helps fund a lot of different things that any organization is trying to do. And um, certainly nonprofits, um, I think continue to to struggle sometimes to raise the money that they need, particularly when um, the the economic system kind of is where it is in America right now, which is there are still a lot of people that are um, unemployed or uh, they're they're underemployed uh, or or just right just don't feel like they are quite where they want to be from an economic stability standpoint even if they are employed and that makes it hard for them to feel like oh i can give money to this cause when i i can't even get all my own bills paid yeah and then corporate sponsorship is also just advocating yeah. you know advocating on on behalf of the program or um volunteering time um, so those are all ways that um, people can help. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you're, you're super involved now. So did you grow up here in St. Louis? Is that where you're from? I was born in New York City. Um, I moved to St. Louis in the third grade um, for my dad's job. They moved us here to St. Louis. So I've pretty much been here ever since, except for a year I was in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. Okay. I, I imagine, I mean, third grade is pretty young, but that's still a pretty big culture shop coming from, from New York to St. Louis, I imagine. It is. And we actually used to go to New York every summer. Um, so I probably still didn't claim St. Louis probably until I was in high school. Cause I'm like, I'm going back to New York in the summer. So <laughs> <laughs> claiming St. Louis is a recent occurrence. And then now I actually live in Troy, Illinois, which is like a little outside of St. Louis. So. Yeah. Which is definitely not New York city. Let's just no, get that out there. <laughs> not at all. No, not at all. But there aren't many places in the city that you can have that kind of green backyard that you've got going on right now. You can do that in Troy. You can do that in Troy. Uh, come visit Troy if anyone wants to visit. Um, yeah, it's a very quiet, small town. Um, I love it. It's very quiet. Very, very quiet. <laughs> so I that whole quiet, small town thing, is that a function of uh, you've always kind of liked that? Or is that kind of a a recent thing or a newer thing? 
it's a recent thing. So when I first came here, my real estate agent told me about it. Um, I was working in Chesterfield, Missouri. I don't, so people that know the region will know like the distance. Yeah. Um, so she was like, come look at this place after work. I put in my GPS. It was like 55 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't. But she was like, you got to look at it. And so I drove the 55 minutes. And then when I got to my neighborhood, um, it was so peaceful. Like as soon as I turned in, it was just like all these trees. And I was like, wow, this is peaceful. And so um, that's why I'm here. I would have yeah. never thought about this without my real estate agent. Um, so yeah, it's nice. Yeah, I have always, so I grew up in a, a small town and uh, I, I, you know, very early on, I was like, I, I, I gotta get out, right? I wanna live in the city and and I did uh, like not super big cities, but I, you know, lived in Kansas City and then I lived in Minneapolis for a while and I've lived in St. Louis now for a long time. And um, while I like visiting kind of the country, like my grandmother lives out in the country, she lives in South Texas and she's got a place just kind of out in the country, deer coming into the yard, that kind of thing. And I love it. I absolutely love it. But I love it while I'm there. And then I'm like, but you got to drive like 45 minutes to get to anything. <laughs> <laughs> you do. We just get used to it, though. We just, we're used to it. Let's get in a car and go. Yeah. Yeah. Shop big when you go shopping. Make sure you exactly. don't leave anything off the list. Yes. That is actually what we do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I like having my grocery store, like it's not quite walking distance, but it's pretty close to walking distance. Like, wow. Ours uh, is, well, we just had a new one open up, but before that we were driving about 20 minutes to the grocery store. Uh, only Costco for me. That's, that's my <laughs> 20 minute drive. I got to drive 20 minutes to Costco, but not the grocery store. The grocery store is like five minutes. I'm good to go. Good to yeah. go. So I am curious when we talk about customer service, like you started in customer service as an agent mm -hmm. and now you're managing this, this global sales organization. And I hear this often from a lot of leaders in uh, the contact center world, right? I started as an agent and now I'm whatever, whatever they're doing. Um, and that's true for me too, right? In this business, I started as an agent. I wonder, one, did you ever think this is where you were going to end up? So I'll start there and then you can answer that and then we'll, we'll come back to my next question. Um, no, I never thought I would end up working for a global uh, publication, um, no, never. <laughs> so to then is what advice do you have for people that maybe are taking a job in a contact center um, and maybe they're looking at it the exact same way I looked at it when I took my first job in a contact center was like, I just need a job. 
that that's what that that was what was going through my head. Like I just need a job. I need something that has a paycheck and has some insurance. Like sign me up. <laughs> but what advice would you give someone that um, maybe is is entering or has just entered this business and and that's kind of where they're at? Um, so my advice would be to work hard um, and always be looking out for open doors. Um, and if there's um, a skill that you're interested in, um, I'm hoping you have good leadership around you that will help, you know, help you build up on that leadership. But the contact center world, there's so many different areas you can go into where you don't have to be taking calls like for 40 years, right? Right. Um, so I would just say work hard. And if you see an open door, go for it. Um, try to do as much on the job training as you can. Try to shadow people. Um, and depending on where you work, if you like if you're a contact center agent and you want to become manager and sit with your manager and say, how did you get here? Yeah, so I really love that advice, and I think that's um, <laughs> it's a really simple thing to do, but I don't think many people think about that. Like, just ask your leaders, right? What what did you do? What what was your journey to get here? And and maybe I can take some of that and replicate it along the way. Yeah, maybe, or it's just giving you some advice on um how you can craft your journey to get somewhere similar yeah so um what is it that right now that you have seen aside from the the pandemic right so i, I think we all recognize that uh, a lot of things have changed um, but i'm curious um kind of what your what you're looking into, what you're interested in when it comes to the contact center business that you think is like next uh, or different or new? Um, I think the pandemic has brought out, has birthed like a new type of contact center engagement. I think it's so important now more than ever that we do things to engage our contact center reps. Um, outside of customer service week, <laughs> right, which, right? Which just wrapped up, which yep. just wrapped up, which is once a year, right? Um, but the pandemic was a very stressful time, um, especially for agents. Some of them were working home from home and now they're back in the office. Um, so I think just, and it's also what they're calling the great, what, res resignation, right? So we have to make the contact center advisors or agents feel like they're valued with engagement, with um, incentives, just um, wanting to develop them more, provide more coaching like for their future plans. Um, so to me, that's really, I think that's where my heart's going, you know, making sure even though, cause we, we've been on the phones, we've been on those back-to-back -back calls, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we've been late for break, even though we were hungry because <laughs> we were on a call. We couldn't, uh, we couldn't uh -huh. get the call. We had to say, okay, you know, and uh -huh. still we had that professional voice. So we've been there. So I think now more than ever, we just have to let the agents know how valued they are, um, how much we appreciate them um, on a regular basis. Yeah, I think often 
that is an area that is really easy for us to to forget about and i think it's actually harder too when we are not seeing each other mm-hmm. because even though we have all these communication tools and we have lots of different ways to communicate with each other, um, you know, in a contact center, depending on what tools that you use, there are all kinds of ways that you're going to be able to talk with your agents and communicate with your agents. Most often that's you're probably not seeing their face and they're not seeing your face. And I think it becomes really easy for us to lose that human connection with people because we can't just walk by and and smile at them and wave or come by and say, you know, hey, how's it going? Or would you do this weekend? Like we forget to do those things because there's not that kind of casual. I'm just walking by and I can just have that casual conversation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes because we have to have conversations that may relate to the job. We do those and we're intentional about those, but we forget we also have to be intentional about just being human with people. Right. Yeah, I agree. Like, I just I just want to talk to you and find out what's been going on with you. Not I need to talk to you about this call that you took, you know, this morning that ended up getting escalated or whatever the case may be. Right. But that's how. I mean, for me, I think that's how I, that's how, that's how I drive performance, right? So I, I feel like I drive performance by creating a relationship with my team. Now, of course, you're a leader, everyone, everyone doesn't always like you, but, (laughs) but they can trust me, right? Because I've built that relationship, seeing how they're doing, just checking in on them. So when I do have to have those tough conversations, they, they trust what I'm saying. And they, they know I have their best interests at heart because having their best interests at heart is what drives performance. Yeah, that reminds me um, every time I hear someone talk about leadership qualities, the, the, the video that always pops into my mind is Colin Powell talking about leadership. Mm-hmm. And it just... Like someone asks him this question and it comes out of his mouth so fast and so confidently. He's like, trust. Yeah. That's it. Trust. When you trust me, you will run through a brick wall for me. You will, you know, go down the the darkest valleys and follow me wherever I go if if you trust. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I absolutely know that. You're on to something. I mean, you're in pretty good company with Colin Powell. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's worse company to be in. I I think probably doing all right with that. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So I, uh, I heard maybe that you're thinking about, um, moving from the St. Louis area. Is this possible? Yeah. Maybe. Um, I love St. Louis. I do not like the St. Louis winters. I no longer like those. Mm. Um, so I'm thinking of moving south, probably Texas. Um, I liked, it sounds like I was actually in Texas, you know, when they had that great, the freeze in, uh, was that yeah. February? I was there when the power and the water 
Oh no. Me and my husband were stuck in a hotel and uh palm trees died. Like I went there to see the palm trees and it was so cold all the palm trees died. But um despite that, it was it was a nice visit. So you went through that experience and you're still like, oh, yeah, I I'm I'm still good with that. Well, they said it only happens like once once in a while so i'm a trust i'm a trust that that is correct like once every 10 years maybe or something weird okay i i mean that's fair look i totally understand what you mean by the winners and this isn't even i mean i lived in minneapolis for a couple of years i i learned a new definition for winter and cold and that definition involved like the little hairs in your nose freezing Uh-oh. as soon as you walk out. <laughs> they have the most gorgeous summers in Minneapolis. It's it's my favorite place in the summer, I think, that I've ever been to. But the winters, oh my gosh, they are brutal. So I'm personally not a fan of winter, and I get where you're coming from because Texas does have some beautiful weather when it comes to um, the time that everyone in St. Louis is wearing their big puffy coats and mm-hmm. your toes are freezing and your shoes and all of that. So I, so I get it. Yeah. So I'm looking and they have great food. They have so much food. So they much do. good food. I can't wait. They do. Um, so this is, you were looking at the Houston area, right? Yeah. It's, um, they have uh, such a, a diverse population that like the food options there are off the chain. There, uh, anything you want, they got it. And it's yeah. delicious. It's delicious. And look, um, it's Texas. They have Texas barbecue. And I'm a Kansas City barbecue guy. Don't get me wrong, but Texas barbecue, like, Mm, that's, mm, 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 good stuff. You're making me angry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making me hungry. Um, you know, we're recording this. It's not that far from dinner time. Um, it's like uh, a little after five o'clock, and I, I'm not even going to talk about what I had for lunch. But let's just say that it was not, um, it was not a meal mm-hmm. in the traditional sense of the meal. So. With that in mind, we probably both ought to grab something. Uh, Let me just take a moment to thank you so much for joining me. I loved getting to know you and hearing about all the wonderful things that you are doing. Well, thanks for having me. This was fun. Uh, It was fun. It was fun. And at some point, maybe we'll do it again and maybe... Um, instead of that beautiful green background that you have for the people that might be watching on YouTube, maybe, right, it'll be a beautiful, like, Texas background with some frozen palm trees. I'm hoping no. a pool. I'm hoping, a pool. I, I'm, I'm hoping a pool. So we'll see. Okay, well, uh, if you need any um, pool maintenance suggestions, I'll put you in touch with my grandmother. She's right. She's the expert. She's been living down there for decades now, and she's got the pool maintenance on lockdown. So I can uh, put you in touch with someone who knows what they're doing. Cool. I look forward to it. <laughs> All right. Well, Shante, uh, thanks for joining me on Next NQ, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.